The Old Testament reading is from Genesis chapter 32, verses 22 to 30. Uh, and this is, uh, so Jacob has uh, already gone and worked for his uncle Laban. Uh, the whole Leah and Rachel debacle has happened. Uh, and then God tells Jacob to go back home. And so Jacob's on his way back home, and he sends a messenger uh, back to Esau, his brother Esau, to kind of you know, let him know, hey, I'm coming home. Hopefully things are kind of smoothed over a little bit. And the messenger comes back to Jacob and says, well, Esau is on his way uh, to meet you with 400 men. And, of course, Jacob's a little afraid, thinking, well, Esau's finally going to get back at me and kill me. So he has this plan where he's going to send a bunch of gifts ahead of himself uh, to meet Esau before Esau gets to Jacob. A bunch of gifts for Esau, and then he also splits up his family and entourage into smaller groups um, to hopefully impress Esau or, or whatever, to kind of smooth things over before they actually meet. And, and this is kind of where our reading picks up. The same night, Jacob arose and took his two wives, his two female servants, and his eleven children, and crossed the ford of the Jabbok. He took them and sent them across the stream, and everything else that he had. And Jacob was left alone. And a man wrestled with him until the breaking of the day. And when the man saw that he did not prevail against Jacob, he touched his hip socket, and Jacob's hip was put out of joint as he wrestled with him. Uh, bit of a spoiler alert. This is God that he's wrestling with. And this is kind of like a, a bit of a power play by God saying like, yeah, at any point in time, I could have disabled you. Uh, so it's a bit of a power play. Uh, then he said, uh, the, the God, God is speaking here. Then he said, let me go for the day has broken. But Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. And he said to him, what is your name? And he said, Jacob. Then he said, your name shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel, for you have striven with God and with men and have prevailed. Then Jacob asked him, please tell me your name. But he said, why is it that you ask my name? And there he blessed him. So Jacob called the name of the place Peniel, saying, for I have seen God face to face, and yet my life has been delivered. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. The epistle is from Philippians chapter 4, verses 1 to 3. Therefore, my brothers, whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. I entreat Yodia and I entreat Syntyche to agree in the Lord. Yes, I ask you also, true companion, help these women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel, together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers, whose names are in the book of life. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. The Holy Gospel according to St. Luke, the 18th chapter. Glory to you, O Lord. Jesus told them a parable to the effect that they ought always to pray and not lose heart. He said, In a certain city there was a judge who neither feared God nor respected man. And there was a widow in that city who kept coming to him and saying, Give me justice against my adversary. For a while he refused, but afterward he said to himself, Though I neither fear God nor respect man, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will give her justice, so that she will not beat me down by her continual coming. And the Lord said, Hear what the unrighteous judge says, and will not God give justice to his elect, who cry to him day and night? 
Will he delay long over them? I tell you, he will give justice to them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? This is the Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. So let me read the uh, uh, Philippians text again one more time to you. This is, uh, if you're visiting with this, we've been working through Philippians uh, since, um, I guess that would be June, May or June. And this is a weird text that shows up here. I mean, there's uh, lots of good theology that we've read about. And then you get this text here. Therefore, my brothers, uh, included in that, uh, you know, this is a, a pretty patriarchal language that the ancient world used. Uh, this is brothers and sisters, because he's going to talk actually specifically to two women here. Uh, Therefore, my brothers, whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. And then this seems incredibly personal. Like, here's a letter written to a whole church, and here you have this. I entreat Euodia, and I entreat Syntyche to agree in the Lord. We don't know what the backstory about this is. Uh, but here's Paul is telling these two women uh, to agree in the Lord. Uh, I mean, I'll, we can guess that they weren't agreeing in the Lord, that there was something going on, some sort of disagreement, some sort of division, and he's saying, uh, agree in the Lord. Yes, I ask you also, true companion, this is weird too, uh, who is the true companion? Uh, he doesn't say his name. Uh, I have a halfway decent guess, which it's not important actually to the text, but we can talk about that in the adult Bible study downstairs afterwards. Uh, but it's somebody who's working with Paul uh, there in Philippi. Remember, Paul's writing from Rome, so he's not there at the time. I ask you also, true companion, help these women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel. So Yodi and Syntyche are fellow workers of Paul who've labored together with Paul in the gospel, together with the rest of these people, together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. It's interesting to me, in this text here, we have all these different themes that we've been talking about from Philippians uh, are kind of all compacted here in these little, in this weird little three verse text where Paul is specifically telling these two women, it's time for you to have the same mind in the Lord. So a lot of these different things that we've been talking about, and this is, give me uh, two minutes just to review some of the key themes from Philippians. Suffering as an essential element of knowing and sharing in the life of Jesus. Suffering is not being a failure, like a, like some sort of system failure in Christianity where it's, we're supposed to be happy and like well adjusted and free from anxiety and depression. But we don't know what's going on, but we, we struggle with these things. That's actually, this is a part of what it means to be a Christian is to struggle with, the, with these sort of things. And here you have two women struggling with each other, apparently. In the church, this is not, this is a part of what it means uh, to be a Christian, is to experience these sorts of uh, struggles. And we've all experienced them, right? So sometimes uh, they're physical, sometimes they're uh, social um, relationship stuff here. Paul's in prison when he writes this. So back in, in uh, chapter 1, when Paul says in verse 29, it's been given to you this gift, not just to believe in Jesus, but also to suffer for his name's sake. Paul's thinking about the fact that he's in prison, writing that. He's writing to Euodia and Syntyche, and their suffering is of a different sort. It's, but it's a very real suffering. You know what, you know what suffering is like when, when, when there's a disconnect, when there's a barrier between you and somebody else that shouldn't be there. There's at best a level of discomfort, awkwardness, avoidance. At worst, it can just be flat out contentious, right? That, that's a suffering. That's suffering. It's not, 
That's not a sign that things have gone wrong. It's a sign that, and for Christians, it's a sign that God is working out His gospel will in your life. Uh, other themes in here, working together for the sake of the gospel. Remember back in Genesis 1.22, uh, Genesis, Philippians 1.22, uh, where Paul says this, he is saying, if I'm to live in the flesh, I'm sorry, let me jump down here. Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ so that whether I come and see you or I'm absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit. You are standing firm in one spirit. That's the language pulled right out of chapter 1 and stuck here in chapter 4. He says, uh, I, I, Therefore, my brothers whom I love and long for my joy and crown, stand firm thus in the Lord. This is a, a key theme of Philippians. Standing firm for the sake of the gospel in unity in the Lord. Pops up here. Uh, third one, have the same mind among yourselves. Remember that this is right in the heart of the epistle is this. The key to all of this is, is having the mind of Christ, which you've already been given in Jesus. Have this mind amongst yourselves, which is already yours in Christ Jesus. He says the exact same thing in this text. Verse two, look at, I mean, the ESV says, look down here. It says, I entreat you, Odie, and I entreat Syntyche to agree in the Lord. The word agree actually isn't in Greek. It's actually the exact same verb that's in verse 5 of chapter 2. It says, literally in, in Greek it says, I entreat Euodia and I entreat Syntyche to have the same thoughts in the Lord. Exact same, ver- exact same verb as in chapter 2, verse 5. Think the same thoughts among yourselves, which are also yours in Christ. Again, Paul, he's pulling these themes from earlier and sticking them in this section about these two women. Find your identity, not in, the, not in things of the world, but in knowing Jesus. We talked about this, all of chapter 3 is about this, right? Paul says, I actually have a pretty solid self-identity. Like, I've got it together. I can trace my genealogy uh, all the way back to Abraham. I'm a Hebrew of Hebrews. Uh, It's touching to the law. I'm completely blameless. However, that can't be my identity anymore. Now my identity has to be knowing Jesus Christ. My identity has to be in Jesus. And that's why Paul's going to say three times in our little section today, Something about being in Jesus, or once he says in the gospel. In verse one, he says, stand firm thus in the Lord. Find your identity in the Lord. Verse two, agree in the Lord. Not, you're not just agreeing because you have things in common, but you're agreeing because your identity together is in Jesus. Like, one of them might be Jewish, and one of them might be, uh, non-Jewish. One of them might be a Greek speaker. Euodia is possibly a Jewish name. Syntyche is not. Syntyche is a name that means lucky. No, 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 that's a very, very pagan thing to call your kid in the first century is to name them lucky. It's not a Jewish thing. Maybe that's the basis of the difference. It doesn't matter. That's not your identity. Ethnicity is not your identity. You are in the Lord. And finally in verse three, these people labor side by side with me in the gospel. This is your identity. You are gospel people. You are, remember what gospel is. It's shorthand for kingdom of God stuff. You are together members of the kingdom of God. Your citizenship is the kingdom of God. Your citizenship is not here. Go back to verse 20 from chapter 3. This theme popping up again here. And then finally, the fifth theme from from Philippians that shows up here again is the new creation is going to fix the whole world. Even our our relationships. Remember the text from last week? uh, Chapter 3 and verse 20 where he says our citizenship is not here. But we await a Savior who's going to come here and transform our lowly bodies to be like His glorious body. He is When Jesus returns, He is going to make all things right again. That theme of the new creation comes up here again 
uh, several times uh, in uh, chapter 4, verses 1 through 3. I'll point those out to you later because I'm going to come back to that point. So, what's going on? Here's what I think is happening. I think that the whole point of the letter to the Philippians has not been to teach the church good theology, although that is essential to getting done what Paul wants to get done. Tell tell me if I... This is my suspicion, just on reading Philippians. The whole point of the letter to the Philippians, the whole point is to tell these two women to have the same mind in Jesus. Everything else is prelude. Everything else is theological background to saying what he has to say. Look, he could say, he could say to them, uh, hey, just be nice to each other. But that's not good enough. Like, you know, you remember being a kid and your parents saying, be nice to your siblings. Okay, that, that's, that doesn't actually change the way you think about your siblings. You, know, you might try for a couple minutes while they're still looking, but it doesn't really change it. Paul's determined to have a gospel relationship in this church. All the theology that we've talked about, the theology of suffering, the theology of union in Jesus Christ, the theology of the union of the body of Christ, the theology of Jesus' suffering to give us that ability to be humble, the theology of our identity being in Jesus and loving and knowing Jesus Christ and not in the things of the earth, the theology of the new creation, all of that is just background to tell you, Odia and Syntyche, start thinking the same way. Now, let's talk about what he, let's talk about this actual command here. I, I beseech you, Odia, I beseech Syntyche to have the same mind in the Lord. There's two, th- th- two things I want to say about this. First of all, Paul doesn't say to them, he doesn't say to us what their disagreement actually is. We don't know what they're disagreeing about. And the only thing that we can deduce from that is that it's just not important for us to know. This is how the world works with disagreements. This is kind of what we want from Paul. anybody, Anybody who's ever done conflict resolution, you know this is the way it works. You have two people who have disagreements, you sit down, and the impulse immediately is to present testimony. Okay, side A gets to say what they're, what they're, what, what, what they think about the situation. Then side B gets to say what really happened according to them. And you kind of weigh the two things against each other, and then you decide who's right and who's wrong. You pick a winner and you pick a loser, and then you say, I agree with this person. And that's kind of all of our impulse and any sort of disagreement that we might have or any sort of like relationship fracture is to figure out who's right and who's wrong, present evidence, hopefully get the other person to submit and say that they were wrong, get everybody else who's involved in it, even peripherally, to recognize that I'm right and they're wrong. And Paul, frankly, is just not interested in that. He doesn't talk at all about what their disagreement is. It could be completely legitimate. Maybe it's something really, really lame. Sometimes disagreements are. Maybe it's something really legitimate. But in Paul's mind, none of that is important. The important thing is the fracture itself, which in the gospel has to be healed if Jesus truly is Lord. And it doesn't matter if it's something massive. It doesn't matter if it's something tiny. The gospel has the power, if we believe the gospel, to heal these fractures. So Paul's going to say, in the Lord, have the same mind. Right? So, Second thing is, Paul doesn't say, get along. I beseech you, Odia, and I beseech Sinti. This is like what we tell our kids. Remember, you were a kid and your parents told you this. Just get along. He doesn't say that, right? Getting along can be a postmodern value. We can get along in a way that sort of, that makes sense with the way of the world. 
So if, you, if, if I'm having a fight w- with Shanna, and somebody comes along and says, the two of you get along, the way we could do this on a worldly basis is we could say, okay, Shanna's got her opinion, I've got my opinion, we're just going to d- agree to disagree and figure out a way to sort of tolerate each other, or if we can't even tolerate each other, we're going to attend this church and we're just going to ignore each other. Right? There's a certain way when, th- is, it, is that getting along? I guess in a certain sort of practical way it is. Sometimes you have to do that. Sometimes we say to our kids, you go to your room and you go to your room and you're not going to talk to each other until we tell you it's okay. But that's not what Paul's after. He's not after, see, see what happens there? What, what happens there? So like, Shanna gets to preserve her individual sovereignty. She doesn't get to be in charge of me, but she still gets to be in charge of herself. If we say, get along, and hey, you have your opinion, I have my opinion. And I get to be in charge of myself too. I still get to retain my individual sovereignty. Jesus is having none of that. He insists upon being the sovereign himself. The only person who gets to be in charge here is him. And that means I don't get to, I don't get to create a space in this church or in my family life or in my friend life or at my work life. I don't get to create a space where, hey, this is just my opinion. You're going to have to deal with it. And if not, let's just agree to disagree. There's no room for that in Christianity. If the gospel is true, then Jesus is Lord of me and my opinions, which means I'm not Lord of me and my opinions. He's also Lord of Shanna and her opinions, which means by necessity, if we have the same Lord, then we have to be on the same page. If Jesus is Lord, Shanna and I have to be on the same page. And that's why Paul doesn't say to Euodia and Syntyche, hey, just start playing nice. He says, you actually have to think the same way. You, you can't just avoid each other. You have to have the same thought patterns. You have to have the same opinions about stuff. And I'm sure he doesn't mean like which sports team you should root for. But he means in these matters about the kingdom of God, you have to have the same mind. This is very different than the world's way of working. This is the kingdom way of, of this is the kingdom way of reconciliation. All right. How does the gospel do this? This is actually, we look at the text here. Uh, two different ways, and I've kind of, this is going to be a little bit of a review too. I've already mentioned two of them. Let's unpack them a little bit. One is that the gospel uh, gives us a new identity. And then the second is that the gospel gives us a new future. So we've talked about identity a lot because in chapter three, Paul talks about identity a lot. I'm no longer super religious person. I'm no longer the rabbi scholar who walks down the street and has all the answers. I, I now count all those things. I count my social standing, my economic standing, my religious standing, and my religious community, Paul says. I count all those as excrement. Verse 8 of chapter 3. I count all those as excrement compared to the excellency of knowing Jesus and being found in Him, finding my identity in Jesus. So first of all, Paul gives us a new identity. Paul takes away Shanna's rightness, and he takes away Aaron's rightness, and he says, now you get my rightness. That's who you are. You are the people who belong to Jesus. I don't, I, 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 I am, let me say it this way. I am now free to no longer be a slave to my own rightness. My own desperate attempt to be the smartest guy in the room. To be the one who tells everybody else what to think and they have to listen. I don't have to be a slave to that anymore. I'm free to humble myself and take upon, take upon myself the humility of, it doesn't matter if I'm right or wrong. It doesn't matter if I'm smart or dumb. Because I am in Jesus Christ. So he says two times, we're in Jesus. Reaffirming this. In verse 1 and in verse 2, he says, we're in the Lord. In verse 3, he says, we're in the Gospel. In the Gospel, that's again, it's kingdom language. Jesus is the King. We're not the King. God gives us our new identity. But also He gives us, again, review from last week, 
he gives us a new future. Remember at the end of chapter 3, he says, we are the people who are awaiting the return from Jesus, from heaven to this earth, to transform our bodies to be like his body, to transform the creation to be like the creation he intended to be. And what does that mean for us now? Paul says at the end of chapter 3, we talked about this last week, we are now the colony of the kingdom of God. We are now the kingdom of God. God has taken a little slice of the new creation and he's pulled it out of the future and he's stuck it here. We are the resurrection people who are living in the here and now here in Glen Carbon. And we are the colony that's trying to advance the kingdom of God, pushing forward towards the day when all of Glen Carbon and all of Edwardsville and all of Illinois, all of the United States, all of the world bows the knee to Jesus. That's our job as colonists, to be conquerors. That's our new future. Now, here's what he's saying to you, Odie and Syntyche. Ladies, you are my crown, he says in verse 1. I love and I long for you. You're my joy and my crown. That crown, that's, that's new creation language. It's actually athletic language. If you won an athletic contest um, uh, uh, in uh, the first century Greco-Roman world, uh, one of the main awards you would get after immediately after winning that contest, along with money and other gifts later, would be, and some of you guys know this, that Olympic wreath, the, the laurel wreath that you would put on your head. When Paul says crown, that's what he's referring to. That's my end goal. The reward that I want to, when Jesus returns and makes all things new again, the reward I'm looking for is actually you. That's the prize I get, is you two ladies. You are new creation people. I will be there with you. The very last line in verse 3 of our text. All of you, your names are in the book of life. Book of life is a Jewish uh, idiom. It pops up in the Bible several times. pops up in the book of Revelation. It is the book where God's elect, their names are written down. And on the last day, you are guaranteed a place in the new creation because your names are written in the book of life. That's what He starts off by saying, you're my crown. I will see you on the last day. And he ends by saying, I know that you and I are both in the book of life. I will see you on the last day. What's he saying? He's saying this. If you and I, if Shanna and I are actually new creation people pulled out of the future resurrection world and stuck here in Glen Carbon to live in this world, then what Shanna and I have to do is live together now like we'll live together then. In perfect and complete unity. I, I spoke this week at, uh, at the high school, at Metro East Lutheran High School, at the eighth grade day. Eighth grade day, it's like they, the, all the high schoolers kind of get the afternoon off and uh, they bring all the eighth graders in from all the area Lutheran schools and uh, they get to go on from classroom to classroom and the teachers do presentations and, and the different uh, school clubs do presentations and uh, you talk to the, whoever you want to about sports and academics and things like that. So I, I, the, the, it starts off, well, it starts off with lunch and then there's like a, a devotion and they bring all the eighth graders in the, in the gym and they all sit them there. And so I, I did the devotion last year. I did it again this year. So I'm talking to the 8th graders, and I was telling uh, a couple of you yesterday. So I'm sitting there doing, uh, I'm sitting there, uh, doing the devotion. I look up at the bleachers. All the 8th graders from the area are there. My kid's there. Harry's there. He's an 8th grader. And he's sitting with all his good shepherd friends in this lump right here. And then over here are all, I, all the Trinity kids. I know the Trinity kids from sports. I see them play sports against my kid. Over here are the Zion Bethalto kids. And you got the Zion Belleville kids over here, and there's some homeschool kids over here. And I'm sitting there talking to them, and they're all in their little groups. And I know for a fact that they don't like each other. <laughs> because, 
they play sports. And if you know anything about the Lutheran school sports in the area, it's pretty like intense. I don't just mean athletically, that's good. But like emotionally, there's a lot of bad feelings sometimes that lay behind Lutheran school sports against other churches and other schools. The feelings that go back sometimes decades. People in their 40s or 50s who still don't like another church in the area because of something that happened in volleyball in the 1980s. And you can laugh at it, but that's actually, that's actually legitimately true. And I'm sitting there and I'm looking at all these different groups. You know, I see Harry and his group and all the different groups. And I'm thinking to myself, you guys, you don't like each other because it's something that happened on the basketball court last year. But this year, you're going to be wearing the same uniform. You have to figure out a way to put all that behind you, to abandon your old identity as Good Shepherd Lutheran or Trinity Lutheran and take on the uniform now your future uniform, the uniform of Metro East Lutheran High School. That's exactly what we're doing here in this text. Yodia and Sente, you guys do not get along now. That's only because you put on the wrong uniform. We don't know what the the uniforms are because Paul doesn't give us a backstory. But maybe Yodia put on her Jewish uniform and Sente put on her Greek uniform. And Paul's saying, that's not who you are. Your future identity is new creation, resurrection of Jesus Christ's people. And for eternity in the new creation, you guys are going to love each other completely. It's complete nonsense to not do that right now. Any grudges that you harbor against anybody else, it's false. It's not real. It's not your destiny. It's not your future. So abandon them now and embrace who you are in Jesus Christ right now. When we claim to know Jesus, these lives that we live in strife actually show up to be a lie. So, so if you, if, if, this, this is honestly what happens. For, for those of you who are struggling with faith, or you're not a Christian, maybe you're thinking about being a Christian, this is kind of where you're at too sometimes. Is we Christians, we like to talk about like, oh yeah, we're, you know, we, we love Jesus and we love each other. And I'm a Christian, you know, I know the eternal God. I actually know the creator of the universe. Uh, meanwhile, I talk bad about this mutual friend of ours over here. And you know what? People look at us and they're like, it'd be the same thing as if I said, you know, like if one of you came up and said to me, uh, so what did you do this weekend? And I said, well, I, I tried out and I actually got signed to be the backup catcher for the Philadelphia Phillies. You would say, best case scenario, you would say, you're deranged. <laughs> that doesn't make any sense, right? You're an overweight, middle-aged pastor. That's not who you are. Like, worst case scenario, they're going to be like, don't make eye contact with the crazy man. Get out of here. That's actually why people have problems with the Christian church. It's because we say we love Jesus. We offer forgiveness to people. Meanwhile, I don't like him because he doesn't mow his yard right. And there's this person at my church that we don't get along with because one time we had this argument three years ago and I actually don't even remember what it was about, but she's a real jerk. He's a real punk. People look at us and they're like, you're deranged. You say that you're something and you're not anything like that thing. That's the, that's the bad side. What's the positive side? Can you guys humor me for just a second? Dave, Dave read the story. I'm glad Dave set the story up this way. Uh, the Genesis uh, uh, 32 story. Can you look at that with me again? We want people to know who God is. We want people to see the reality of the resurrection life. 
There is one tool that we have in the Bible, and that's the tool that Paul is offering here in Philippians, which is the tool from Philippians 2, have the same mind among yourselves. Be humble, treat each other better than yourselves. It's the same thing he's asking you, Odie, and Syntyche to do, which is offer each other the precious gift of reconciliation in the name of Jesus. When we do that, it will not just be a matter of, I'm repeating myself for several weeks, it will not just be a matter of, we get along better when we're just nice to each other. And it will be God's presence will become apparent when we offer forgiveness to each other. Check out this story. Jacob's wrestling with God. Dave already read this. I'm not going to read the whole thing, but I do want to read the last verse. So Jacob called the name of the place where he wrestled with God, Peniel, saying, for I have seen God face to face, and yet my life has been delivered. So Jacob wrestles with God, and he says, I've actually seen the Creator God face to face. That's unbelievable. All right, can you do me a favor? Can you reach down and pull up your uh, pew Bibles and turn to page 26 with me? So Genesis chapter 33. We're going to look at the story that, that Dave read here from Genesis 32, and we're going to look at the, what, what comes right after that. So remember, the payout of this story is Jacob has seen the face of God in his lip. So now, who is alive at this time who knows what the face of God looks like? Just one person in the whole world, and that's Jacob. And that's, by the way, that's his new identity. He actually gets his name changed from con man, which is what Jacob means in Hebrew, to Israel, which means you're the guy who wrestles with God. You're the guy who's wrapped your arms around the Creator God. Literally. You're the guy who has seen God's face. You know what God's face looks like. Now, what does this mean in the story? Look at chapter 33. So as Dave said, all this happens when Jacob's on the way to like try and bribe his brother Esau to not kill him because Esau is angry at him for robbing him and stealing him of his uh, right of primogeniture. Jacob looks up and there was Esau coming with his 400 men. And Jacob freaks out. So he divides the children among Leah, Rachel, and the two maidservants. He separates them because he's trying, like if one of us gets killed by Esau's people, the other three can take off running while one of the groups dies. But verse 4, here's what happens. Completely contrary to Jacob's expectations, Esau gives him complete forgiveness and complete acceptance. Verse 4, but Esau ran to meet Jacob and embraced him. He threw his arms around his neck and kissed him and they wept. And then Esau looked up and saw the women and children. Who are these with you? He asked. And Jacob said, they are the children God has graciously given your servant. And then he kind of reviews Jacob's new family who he's never met. And Esau says in verse, look at verse 8, what do you mean by all these droves I met? All the gifts that Jacob sent out in front of him to bribe his brother. Please don't kill me. Here's a bunch of animals. Here's a bunch of gold. Here's a bunch of clothing. Esau's like, why, why are you sending me all these gifts? To find favor in your eyes, my Lord, Jacob says. But Esau said, I already have plenty, my brother. Keep what you have for yourself. Check out what Jacob says here. No, please, said Jacob. If I found favor in your eyes, accept this gift from me. For to see your face is like seeing the face of God now that you've received me favorably. Who knows what God's face looks like? Jacob does. When he sees his brother Esau in acceptance and forgiveness welcoming him, Jacob looks at his brother Esau and says, that looks just like the face of God. Look, this is what Paul's saying in Philippians. When we offer each other an acceptance and forgiveness, it's not just that life works better and more smoothly and more happily that way. It's we're actually giving each other the presence of God. We're actually giving each other Jesus in our forgiveness and in our acceptance of each other. We're giving each other the kingdom of God. When we love each other, when we accept each other, the whole world, we will know and the whole world will know that God dwells in the presence of his people. 
Amen.